0: Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Dyer. My name is Steph, and joining me are Milo and Gareth. Hello, chaps. Oh yeah. Hello. We will be spending the majority of this week's pod looking at the career of Eric Dyer. We've done a few of these looks before, and now it's Eric's turn, given the season he's having and the tenure he's had, eight seasons with us. We'll discuss Dyer always up, down, and sideways, and chart the events which help shape a career and player that five different first-team coaches have agreed is a vital member of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. We will also look at COVID-19, a.k.a. The Week That Was, because The Week That Was became a victory march for spiky little buggers which continue to reshape our world, our lives, and our football. Is this latest outbreak going to prove to be the mid-season break players needed? But let's kick off the pod with this week's intro question. What movie would be greatly improved if it was made into a musical? And I think I'm going to have to go uh, to you first, Milo, because this is a a question of your genesis.
1: (laughs) Um, well, I'm feeling festive, so I'm going to go with um, the best Christmas movie, Die Hard. And I've been thinking about this. I think um, John McClane and Hans Gruber with a big song and dance number would be fantastic. Yippee-ki-yay, Motherfucker would obviously be one of the songs. And Now I Have a Machine Gun, Ho, Ho, Ho. Those would be big, big numbers. And I thought maybe at the end, with Rickman coming uh, falling off the, um, the side of the plaza, we could ha- maybe we could license Falling by Alicia Keys to finish off the film. It would be an improvement, wouldn't it? I'd love it. It'd be great. I did have another one. Another quick thought. I thought maybe we could do Escape to Victory uh, with modern footballers, <laughs> and uh, I thought maybe Jason Statham in for Michael Caine and Dwayne Johnson in for Stallone's position, and then I'm sure Beckham would want to be part of it. I'm trying to think of other kind of players whose career is ending or has recently ended who'd who who'd be great in it. But
0: uh, let's face it, Jason Statham in any film improves the quality <laughs> because the Statham is just. One of the hidden thespians of our time, isn't he? I mean, he really is. I mean, he's seen as just like a simple, brutish character actor. But we all know that the Stath is full value entertainment. You are never less than entertained by the Stath in any film. So I think that's a masterful call by producer and director Milo there. I like that. I like it. This is good. This is good. We'd better carry on because otherwise it's going to be the game is about making movies better. Uh, But Gareth, let's stick with the game is about making movies better. And what movie would be greatly improved if it was made into a musical? I'm going to have to apologise and say that I've been very one dimensional in my
2: thinking of this. And really, I've just come up with my favourite film and just thought it'd make a good musical. And that film is The Goonies. It's a great cult film of the, of, of the mid-80s, and I'd really like to see that as a musical. I mean, really good soundtrack as it is. Um, some, some pretty iconic characters in that, some good baddies oh. as well. Um, the Fratellis with the families in it. think Did they inspire
0: the name mm, of I the understand. band, the
1: Fratellis, as well? The Truffle Shuffle is a big song and dance number. would be great.
0: Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Uh, I don't know if this would necessarily improve the film, but my selection purely for intrigue is Taxi Driver. <laughs> which i think reinvented as a musical could be spectacular especially the famous line where he's like you're talking to me i can just see it you're talking to me you're talking to me maybe he'd throw a motherfucker in there or something as well but it would be really good to see that and also that whole monologue that he does um of, you know when he's driving around um He's basically talking about the freaks and et cetera. It'd be wonderful. What
1: well, awesome? would, well, would make that great, uh, Steph? Alan Parker's Bugsy Malone. If you take the same approach to your musical of uh, Taxi Driver and had a kid's cast oh, in it.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I, I can already see a uh, back in time Thomas Turgoose as, uh, <laughs> as Travis Bickle, actually. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think we might be opening up another podcast avenue for the future, but... Uh, <laughs> A question that at first had left me flummoxed, and here we are. We're about to give you the longest edit of all time, but <laughs> we're not. We're going to stop. We're going to stop. Um, but enjoy visualising those musicals, folks. And uh, let me move on to a new signing. Tottenham Hotspur made a new signing. Yes. We've signed 17-year-old left back Charlie Sayers from South End, and he's already captained the under-18 since arriving which obviously means given the state of affairs in the dressing room with our general health, he's going to be playing in the next two weeks in the first team, I jest. Uh, He broke into Southend's first team this season, making six appearances. Guys, any thoughts on the arrival of Charlie Sayers? Uh, A left back is quite significant.
2: It's It's a fairly low risk. Signing, isn't it? You you pick a player who's 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 impressed at youth level. We've done it before. We've got a player in our ranks at the moment, Keon Atete, who we signed from Notts County, who I think may have made a couple of first team mm-hmm. appearances as a, as a forward. But if I go back maybe fifteen years, we signed a player called Lee Mills from Swindon Town, who played for England at, at various age groups, and unfortunately never made his way into the first team.
0: Yeah, but a various so age groups like, other than full international. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, <laughs>
2: definitely, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely didn't make it a, a, a full. Net international but yeah you you, you hope you've you've got a win-win situation haven't you he either really progresses and he makes carries on the trajectory that he's already played and you might see him in the first team in four or five years time um or probably he gets a number of games for our 23s his profile is relatively high and you can you can sell him on and make a bit of a profit on him
1: i've heard pretty good things about him um i'm I'm hoping he goes on to make as many appearances as the last left back we signed from south end does
0: i like that I like that. Uh, let's hope his hairstylist is a little better. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's, That has to be a given, right? And from my uh, forced and crowbarred comment about hairstyles, uh, we'll move to the week that was, or shall I just say COVID in the camp? Because basically, the week that was has, as I said in the intro, been dominated by this spiky little pest. Last Monday reports started circulating of COVID cases amongst the players and coaches. uh, And that was confirmed on Monday evening by noted uh, Spurs scene reporter Alistair Gold. And in the pre-match press conference on Wednesday, Antonio Conte, um, quite emotionally actually, confirmed that eight players and several members of the coaching staff had tested positive for COVID with reports later Putting that number into double figures, and again, I think it's very important to note that, yeah, Conti looked visibly distressed, and I don't think Antonio's a man to, uh, you know, to, to put on extra theatre for the for for the gallery. Uh, it, it was a very real sentiment, and so subsequently, late last Wednesday night, Spurs released a statement saying that the Europa Conference game against Rennes was off. And at the first team training area at Hotspur Way would be closed so that the squad could quarantine. This, of course, is a bit of a cat amongst the pigeons because we took the initiative before UEFA confirming that the game had indeed been postponed, which UEFA did on Thursday. They significantly, however, refused a request from Vitesse, who remember were vying for that qualification spot, that second qualification spot with us, for their game against Mura to be postponed because they said the request was received too late. So, an enormous mess and all sorts of jostling in the press. On Saturday, UEFA confirmed that Spurs of Wren had been unable to agree on a rearranged date for the fixture and therefore the game was being referred to the, and I giggle when I read this, <laughs> the UEFA control ethics and disciplinary body for a decision. My word, uh, a decision from a body at UEFA with that title is going to be something, eh? So, the Europa Conference rules say that a club that is unable to fulfil a fixture because of COVID will be deemed to have lost the fixture by three goals to zero or three goals to nil, I should say. Although there is also scope for further punishment, chaps. What do we make of the mess and conundrum that erupted from uh, essentially a, a health crisis of nobody's doing?
2: I think it's a, I think it's an unfortunate sequence of events that have occurred. Um, I think it's a lot of unfortunate coincidences and I think ultimately the right thing was that the game wasn't played I don't think anyone would disagree with that I think it's one that we've probably just got to take on the chin in all fairness um in the same way last year we I'm going to say air quote benefited from the fact that our game against Leighton Orient couldn't be played and we got the bye through to the next round and so ultimately we got to the final of that competition didn't we but um I think the right thing is for Vitesse to go through, I think, on, on sporting merit and integrity. I, th- I think that's what needs to happen from this point forward.
1: Yeah, I, I agree on Vitesse. I think we'd get an unfair advantage if we played the game against Wren now. And and obviously that can't happen. We haven't been able to find a slot. I know that Wren's or the French um, midwinter break starts on the 22nd of December and runs through to the 8th of January. So with a packed schedule you know there's not a lot of scope for it to fit in anyway and uh, it would be unfair if we played after for test I think I think the decision to postpone the game was the right one um it was clearly that clear that the number of cases was out of control and we didn't have a clear idea of how many people uh, were infected or likely to become infected so there was a risk there and you know on top of that you yeah, know I don't know I don't know it's not it's unclear as to whether we had enough players to uh, Fill the fixture based on UEFA rules so I don't know whether we had 13 players including a goalkeeper available or not but either way with the numbers climbing as rapidly as they are it would be difficult to know you know whether any of the players who could have played the game whether they were infected or not so um, I think for that decision uh, you know it was the right decision to close down the training ground try and put a stop to it um, try and stop any more people catching it than um, already had and yeah abandoning the game is the right decision but similarly I think it would be the right decision for us to forfeit the game, and for, for for Tess and Ren to go through. It's a bit tricky, isn't it? Because none of us were particularly in favour of us trying to go through anyway. So, but uh, on sporting grounds, I think it's the right that would be the right decision. But I hope that UEFA don't punish us. I think. It would set a bad example if we were punished for doing the right thing uh, and it may well stop other clubs coming forward if we received a punishment for postponing a game when we had such high numbers of COVID.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And obviously, you know, during the week in our um, chat thread that we have on WhatsApp, I think, you know, I mean, I certainly was, you know hot airing about how some of the statements coming from other teams involved in this conundrum were frustrating. And I think we all agreed that it was a lot of posturing and there has been a lot of posturing in the press in the last week, but ultimately this does come down to what you've both said. It's a very simple situation. We did the right thing by postponing the game on the grounds of public health, because everywhere in the world you're hammered to declare these things as early as you can and to take precautions that are necessary. So those grounds alone, we did the right thing. Um, And yes, it's, it's, it would be completely unfair for us to play the game now because we know exactly what we have to do. Uh, so I agree. And finally, you're absolutely right, Milo. I think none of us are going to miss this tournament. And I think we've already staked our claim as a pod to say that, you know, really, if we want to get that fourth spot this season for the Champions League, we need to be out of mm things like this which give us extra games extra travel in a COVID era all this kind of stuff
2: so in in 20 years time when we're doing the podcast about 34 years since a trophy we can at least go back and say look in 2022 we would have won the Europa Conference League had it not been for UEFA kicking us out of the competition unfairly so let's, let's leave that in let's keep that as a caveat that we can <laughs> hold on to for a very long time i
0: like that i like that
1: i think there's a bit of a tendency i mean i've seen this certainly seen us on social media This all twitter this week where um people get a bit tribal about these kind of things so some of the same people who were saying that burnley abandoned their game for their own advantage are now kind of complaining the opposite you know, when we postpone a game trying to say say it's the other way around you know i think you're you're right steph when you say about kind of the posturing from the clubs and i think us Ren and Vitesse were all trying to protect our position. You know, we we cancelled the game unilaterally. It wasn't a UEFA decision to do it. So, of course, there's going to be a bit of um, people protecting their position. You can understand Vitesse trying to put pressure on, um, on UEFA to kick us out so that they could go through. Um, and similarly, you can understand that Wren probably want a bit of money to cover their costs and and lost earnings. So I think that's what it's all about. And unfortunately, because it was um, announced by us publicly, then it kind of flowed out from that. But you know, it's it's all um, it's all a bit of a fuss about nothing. I think really that part of it.
0: Well, it does flow into um, you know the rest of the week that wasn't, if you will, um, or the COVID week that was, because obviously our game against Brighton was postponed. The Athletic were reporting on Thursday evening that the Premier League have written to clubs about returning to emergency COVID measures, which, I mean, for us, presumably, being a long trudge back over from those NFL dressing rooms when we're at home. Um, but I do think it, all of this amplifies another growing issue. And I think we're sort of at a, one of those line-in-the-sand moments where it's tough because I, I like to blame UEFA and FIFA for everything um, that's wrong with football. And in most cases, I'd be right. Uh, but I think there is no clear message from anyone on what to do with regards to this emerging variant and the surge in cases that are happening. So I think it is a moment in time for football once more where there has to be a clear messaging from outside the game in order for the game to be able to deal with these situations in an efficient fashion. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, for example, was calling off the game against Brighton this weekend the right thing to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was. The Premier League have got different criteria to um, to UEFA for calling it off so I you know I think um I think it was the right decision I think you've got to take a safety first approach and I think it's worth bearing in mind so QPR's game against Sheffield United which due to take place on Monday night has been postponed because QPR have got a COVID outbreak in their ranks um Leicester didn't take seven players had seven players missing from their squad that traveled to Napoli um, last Thursday villa cancelled a training session today or sunday uh because of a number of covid cases I think only one of those is a player but the rest is coaching staff and then manchester united have also um they have aban- they abandoned a group training session today and trained individually because a number of players and coaches returned uh, positive lateral flow tests so there's obviously um you know a, a, an increase in the number of cases we're seeing uh, within football teams i think yeah, you know, what was unusual about ours last week is we were unable to contain it so what started out as one or two players was seem to be growing quite rapidly and i think maybe the rules need to take that into account so rather than just saying you know if you're 13 players available if you've got an escalating situation you're not able to take control of it and maybe that maybe there's some way that you can write that so it's it's measurable and people can't uh, can't abuse it then those would be grounds for um postponing the game and you know the 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 sad thing about the ren game is if it had happened, if it had been earlier in that uh, competition, then it would have been easy to rearrange it. But because it was the last game, because the draw is being made on Monday night, because Vitesse had played, because those that group all has to be decided by the end of the month and because... England has, you know, really congested Christmas football um, calendar, and and France is on a on a break, on a winter break. It just makes the whole thing really difficult. If it happened in October, it probably wouldn't have been an issue. You could have, you could have found a way around it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the saddest thing, of course, is that we didn't take care of business, so this game is a dead rubber that we could have forfeited it mm. without any particular issue. Everything could have carried yeah. on as normal. But yeah, I accept that point uh, wholeheartedly as well. I wanted to ask both of you uh, uh, before we return to the specifics of the Spurs COVID situation uh, last week. On a wider level, uh, you know, with emerging variants and Omicron and so on, you know, we've got the African Cup of Nations. We've got the World Cup coming at the end of next year. We've got continued European competition. I mean, do you... Do you both think that we might be arriving at a point where we're going to be going back to, you know, reduced capacity crowds? And, uh, you know, are we also at the point where maybe players and employees of football clubs who refuse to vax will start forfeiting wages? I mean, have we hit that m- line in the sand? I think it's
2: is Perhaps an even wider issue than than that, isn't it? It's more of a it's, you know, it's a societal and a, and a political issue as much as it's a footballing issue around international travel, um, number of people going into large scale venues as well, has an impact. So I mean, I I think generally football has handled COVID incredibly well yes, since you know Project Restart, which was what June. 2020 i think there's been lots of measures um and the fact they were able to get so many games on and as far as we're aware it's such a relatively low number of players and staff immediately around the players actually contracting it has been on on the whole has been very low so i think football has been used as a bit of a trailblazer um in other aspects of society to get things moving again um and i think logistically although we although we are very very quick to criticise the governing bodies I think particularly uh, within the Premier League and the FA they've done a lot of things very very well and they've managed things very very carefully and I would have some faith in them continuing to do so to ensure that we can have football continue with the minimum of disruption
1: but in a safe manner as well. In terms of reduced capacities I mean we're already seeing that in a number of countries um, in Europe and on Docking wages, I believe there's been, I don't think it's been implemented yet, but I believe there's been discussion amongst some German clubs that players that need to quarantine because they haven't been vaccinated after travelling overseas would not be paid by their club whilst they were quarantining there's clearly been discussions about that kind of thing or decisions around that kind of thing um, elsewhere in Europe so it, it's possible you might see it in in England I think in the short term we know that vaccine passports or it's probably the wrong term for it because you can you can you know lateral flow test but you know negative lateral flow test also allows you access but that's being introduced this week so you will need that to go into grounds yeah longer term there may there may well be further restrictions. Your question about kind of European football and the African Cup of Nations and others, I think, you know, you said about the Premier League club, the Premier League writing to clubs about um, uh, going back to tighter, tighter measures. Um, what we need is you know, basically tighter bubbles again. Uh, that's obviously been relaxed a little bit. We need to go back into that kind of situation. I think we probably need more frequent testing. And probably more frequent p c r testing as well as lateral flows um and that way you'd hope to be able to identify cases early and quarantine those players, so you'd stop it spreading amongst you know through the squad and that's that's the issue we had last week
0: finally about what happened at the lane and the lodge earlier in the week uh you know let's just i mean is there a benefit from the games that we have had postponed over the last few weeks? I mean, will it help us avoid injuries and fatigue? Over this busy Christmas period, you know, is it the rest that maybe some of our players needed after all the you know, the incessant amount of football they've been playing? Or is this basically just silver lining bollocks from me? Well, I think on one level, there's an irony, isn't there, that if we
2: are indeed knocked out of the Europa Conference League, it suddenly frees up the midweeks to play the games that have been postponed, of which Burnley happened because of non-COVID reasons, because of the weather, and now Brighton and potentially, although it seems unlikely, Leicester would also go as well. So there's three weeks to slot in there. I think that, well... There's a report that the team trained this afternoon, Mm -hmm. actually, at the training ground, so Conte got them in for a a double session. The problem is that um, I think when we've talked about badly needing to have midweeks free, it's so that Conte can work with the team and he can work with them as a group collectively now certainly over the last four days the players have had the rest they've not been playing not putting their bodies through the rigor of a a premier league match Um, however they've not been able to work collectively on anything Mm. and I think there's only limited amount of impact that you or benefit you can gain from, uh, from doing anything individually
1: yeah I think that's right I mean obviously we had a weekend free when we didn't play Burnley as well so the players have had quite a lot of rest over the last few weeks bizarrely so you know, maybe it helps us over the next couple of weeks, but um, the flip side of that is that we've, we're going to have a lot of games in order to catch up these missed games. I also wonder, um, whilst I try and turn your positive into a negative, Steph, whether this has a knock, <laughs> whether this has a knock-on effect on some of the fringe players who maybe are trying to impress Conte and show what they can do who might be most at risk of being replaced in January and with less time on the training ground and with less games. So the end game, for instance, might have been a game where some of those players might have started. And with less of those games, they've got less chance to show him what they could do and what they could bring to the side. And similarly, he's got less time on the training ground to assess them. And it may well be then be a decision to try and move them on or replace them because um, it's too big a risk to carry some of those through to the end of the season if he if he's not certain about them. So it might not be great for some of the fringe players.
2: I was going to say one benefit, and this sounds quite trivial in the grand scheme of things, but we knew we were going to be without Christian Romero for quite a while, who we I think we've recognised as our, being as our best defender. And... Therefore, he will be available, or more likely to be available, for these games when rearranged now. So, on a on a on a very one dimensional level, there's some benefit to these games not being played right now, but being played a little bit later in the
0: season. Our second best defender, surely, <laughs> to be discussed.
1: And Ces picked the right game to be suspended from, didn't he?
0: <laughs> he certainly did. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting <laughs> with the fringe players. I mean, it could play out the other way uh, because you know if covid continues to you know rumble on through clubs in the january window and you know income somehow gets affected and so on and so forth uh, i i wonder if we'll be able to move anyone or if anyone will be able to move anyone it could really kill off the january transfer windows as, as a thing
1: i think that was already the case a number of european countries have got reduced uh, capacity at the moment so um i think it's gonna be another window where it's a buyer's market and i think we may well be looking at loans to move players out i think that yeah. was always the case
0: so What is clear from the last week is that not just football, but life in general is going to continue to have to deal with COVID and the variants that come from it. And we are still trying to find definitive ways to pick our way through what is a conundrum for societies everywhere. I think that's the overriding uh, lesson we can take from the week. So yeah, thanks chaps uh, for helping round off what again has been uh, a confusing and somewhat frustrating week because of course it is a week that has been without football. Um, But as we've all agreed, ultimately the safety of everyone concerned is the most important thing and we do hope that all the players and staff that have tested positive have fully recovered and are fit and healthy and ready to go. So no game to talk about, but what a player, Eric Dyer. We have, as said earlier, spotlit a few players over the history of the pod. And, you know, given the season that he's had, it is Eric's turn. So allow us to walk you through Eric Dyer. He was born in Cheltenham, Gloucestershire, and his father was a former professional tennis player. For those of us who have a certain vintage, when I tell you that Dyer is the grandson of Ted Croker, a former secretary of the Football Association in the FA, you might raise an eyebrow. And, uh, The president of Cheltenham Town and great-nephew of Peter Croker is another family moniker that Eric can carry. (laughs) Uh, Both of those gentlemen, Ted and Peter, played professionally for Charlton Athletic. So, as you can see, Eric was born into the world of sport and football, uh, whether he liked it or not. He moved to Portugal from England when he was seven years old because his mum was offered a job running the hospitality programme at UEFA Euro 2004. We should try and get her as a guest on the show at some point. There's going to be some great stories there. And so with his parents and five siblings, Dyer spent a year living in the Old Garve region before moving to Lisbon. In 2010, his parents returned to England while Dyer remained in Portugal, living at Sporting CP's Academy. He did have a period on loan at Everton and then he ended up coming to our Mighty Football Club. He has played... Overall, 296 total games in club football. He's also played for England 45 times, scoring three goals for the national team, including that winning penalty in the 2018 World Cup quarterfinal shootout. In terms of his Premier League record for us... Has 217 appearances with 10 goals, 8 assists, and 67 clean sheets. I think it's very interesting to measure that against Toby's Premier League record for us. When I say Toby, I of course mean Toby Alderweireld, uh, who played 200 games, scored 9 goals, and had 69 clean sheets. But remember, Toby did not spend, you know, a season plus as a defensive midfielder. So I think it's interesting when you compare their records in that regard. You know, we should probably go to the beginning here and say that Dyer's breakthrough at Spurs came at right back and. Gentlemen, who wants to kick off this walk back through Eric Dyer's career at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club? I think, Gareth, you should kick it off.
2: Yeah, well, it, an incredible start with that goal that he scored at West Ham. People forget that he then scored in the next home game against QPR. So he actually scored in his first two league games for Spurs. and. A- not sure many other of our signings in the Premier League era will have achieved that Um, he, you may remember in that autumn of his first career as well he turned down the opportunity to play for the England under-21s because he said he wanted to stay back and he wanted to work with Pochettino uh, to be coached in that position. His position was a bit nomadic in the first year so yeah he did play at right back, I can also remember him having a couple of horror shows, there was a game we played at home to Newcastle and we conceded a goal within 12 seconds of the second half restarting basically from a long diagonal ball that went straight over his head when he was caught out of position but as that team settled down into the second half of the season he settled very nicely alongside the Tongan and that was the that was the central defensive partnership in the league cup final that we played against Chelsea that year um, but he was a very good ball player so I can remember him playing on the right hand side of that back too and putting in some real peach of crosses and some really good passing range in that position so I was perhaps as stunned as anyone as when he was converted to a defensive midfielder and word kind of got Round in that that preseason in 2015, that that was what was, that was what was going to happen. But I think what you saw from him was a very very malleable uh, player and someone who was very versatile in a, in, a, in a number of positions, and that's really set him in a good stead. Although possibly it's, it's also been um, something that his detractors had called out the. He, maybe no one really knows what his best position is until until more recently
0: let's talk about that conversion milo and uh Maurizio. uh you know playing him as a defensive midfielder mm. who would drop between the center backs to make a back three uh when we were in attack talk about how that happened and do you think it was maybe look you know his best period at spurs
1: yeah i, I think it was his best period at spurs and you know as you said he was um Playing in defensive midfield, but as we attacked, he had dropped back into the, into a back three in between Vatonga and El and our fullbacks were pushed forwards. And in many ways, it's not dissimilar to the role he's being asked to play now by Conte. And I, I wonder whether, you know, kind of that his return to form, and certainly, you know, he's, he, he's, he's looked very good over the last month or so. You know, it is partly down to that in, in that it was a position when, Pochettino played him there that played to his strengths and whilst he's um, developed as a player and you know he's better at some things now than he was then and some things he's not as good at as he was then but it, it was a position that played to his strengths and um, and we're seeing that again now.
0: I think also you know we, when we look at Eric Dier uh, even when he first came to the club he was Obviously, a very intelligent footballer, mm-hmm. very, very aware of things happening around him. He had a really good radar, a really good map of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could see from the get-go, he was an extremely reliable player. And I think this probably is what led to Manchester United making a bid for him in the summer of 2017. You know, and Dyer was a United fan as a kid, but he resisted uh, the temptation. Um, were either of you surprised when... Man United approached him so heavily at that point?
2: I think at that point he had established himself in the England not just the squad but in the England team and you've got to remember how highly people rate Jordan Henderson now but Dye was keeping Henderson mm. out of the team at that point so I don't think it's a surprise he... <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm very conscious of what I'm about to say and I'm looking at Steph when I say this but he's probably the, exactly the sort of player that Jose Mourinho would have wanted to pick in his midfield at the time. Mm. He has all the credentials and
0: the attributes of that sort of defensive midfielder. Um, I, I, look, look, I, I completely agree with you. I think you're absolutely right and I think in, in Jose's mind he is definitely a type of soldier Jose would have liked. I completely agree.
2: Um, so no, I don't think it was a surprise. I, I think as we'll come on to you've probably drawn the line that when he started to... Having those abdominal and the appendix issues, uh, probably within twelve months of that point, uh, where you draw the line and you say that was the mm-hmm. um, that was the point that his career didn't continue on the trajectory that it had had started on at that point but no it wasn't a surprise look he was he was playing for the team that had been over a two-year period the best team in the country he was a very integral player in that role he was versatile he could in a number of positions he was a, he was a starter in an england team as well at the point so no his his ceiling was incredibly high circa
1: 2017 and gareth said a lot of what i would have said (laughs) um i think we should be clear here that it wasn't really dyer who resisted manchester united's um overtures it was uh daniel levy um setting a high a very high price and rebuffing manchester united i think um uh he was asking for 50 million and united's bids were you know considerably south of that um and uh, similar as we've seen other times um, it reached a point where he refused to return their calls because they were fucking us about. So I think that's the reason he didn't join. I think Dyer wanted to go to Manchester United. I think he'd spoken about uh, you know support for them as a kid and how he'd find it difficult to um, you know to turn them down if he got the chance, but he didn't get the chance.
0: And when you look at Manchester United as a football club, they you know they have had talismanic players of his uh, both physical and mental stature at the heart of their football club. So he actually would have been. A perfect signing for them, it yeah. has to be said. And I, I mean, I, look, I, I'm delighted that we resisted uh, their their overtures, as you've quite rightly pointed out, Mylar. I think it was a big thing. You've already mentioned Gareth Dyer's issues with his appendix and, you know, the subsequent ramifications of that appendix surgery in December 2018. I think it's undeniable had a profound effect on his career uh, for the proceeding couple of years. Um, and Milo, I'm going to ask you to expand on that comment uh, further.
1: I think as Gareth's already said, it was probably the defining moment of um, his time with us and and his development as a player. I mean, he spoke um, publicly uh, a year later saying that um, since the surgery, got bear, this is emergency surgery. He'd been he went to see our doctors complaining of abdominal pain and was rushed into hospital and had his appendix taken out. And not too long ago, that was you know, potentially a life threatening occurrence so you know you don't have to go too far back for that to be the case and a year later he he was speaking about how he'd had issues with not being able to shake off injuries catching illnesses you know frequently and his immune system being low and and that being an issue so you given that he's a professional sportsman that's going to be a pretty big handicap during that period and, and and an issue and i think in terms of kind of his development as a player Um, and particularly as a defensive midfielder, I think that was the defining point and. He became slower on the turn after that, and uh in that position, I think that's a real issue you know you could, taking the ball off off defense and then turning and playing, playing passing forwards it, you can't do that if you're slow on the turn so I think it it was um the end of him being a top level defensive midfielder he's still a player who can do a job, but it's not um he he's not at the levels he was um when he first came into the side those those few seasons after that in that position. And I think that was one of the reasons why he decided to focus on being a central defender. And and that was the right decision. Because um, because then most of the time he's f- he's facing play he's facing upfield he doesn't have to play on the turn and I think that was you know part of the thinking behind that and I think that was the right decision.
0: Let's talk, chaps, about Eric Dyer climbing into the crowd after our FA Cup defeat to Norwich in 2020. Um, I, I I think we would all agree that nine times out of ten you look at a player and if they behave like that you really don't have too much sympathy because you should you know be immune to that sort of uh, reaction given that the public by and large do utter complete bollocks for most of the te- uh, the time of a football match taking place and you should be immune to it however you know we're talking about again a person who's inc- extremely intelligent quite warm and and, and really well controlled I'd like to ask Gareth yeah, you know, how did you feel about yeah, Eric taking a trip into the stands. It was,
2: well, it was an incredibly frustrating evening for everyone, wasn't it? We'd just been dumped out of the FA Cup by Norwich on penalties. Um, it, was, it was a horrible evening. It was a horrible game. I mean, the ironic thing was I thought Eric Dyer was one of our best players that night. And from memory, he's, he actually scored his penalty. Um, there were conflicting reports about whether the criticism that came in was directly to him or whether it was to one of his teammates um it seemed like he was actually standing up for his brother but i think ultimately that was the that was the factor that or that was the switch that flicked that made him think the best that he's what he was going to do was jump over into the stand and confront a fam because he felt his brother was at risk i, I think we all sympathized with him didn't we it was, it was the best part of two years ago i think we all We'll sympathise with him, strip it down to its raw level. You're looking out for your younger brother. He did serve a four-match suspension from the FA for his part in it. I think it'll only ever be remembered as a bit of a footnote for him. It's not as if he's a hothead who's regularly looking to or, or going into the crowd and confronting people or it's not as if he's you know, like other Spurs players that we've had who are getting involved in incidents outside restaurants on Saturday nights and, and getting arrested. So I think it was, a, it, was a, it was just a one-off and it was probably the culmination of an incredibly frustrating evening for everyone.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's true. I think um, you've got to bear in mind the, the side was coming under quite a lot of criticism at the time and there was a bit of a bad atmosphere around so that probably contributed it you know players were getting uh, called out and criticized I think again actually I think Mourinho probably called it right afterwards in that um, he wasn't overly critical of uh, Dyer, but said that he did something that he shouldn't do um, which I think is right I think all of us can understand why he did it but also it was the wrong thing to do the punishment was was right for it but you know in his situation you could easily understand wanting to do the same thing.
0: Oh, I completely agree. I think Jose got it 100% right in the way that he responded to that. And I think he did mention and make it very clear to people that, you know, footballers are human beings as well, and that there has to be some level of accountability for, for one's behaviour. Otherwise, incidents like this will occasionally happen. And I mean, for me, it was a very definitive statement as to who Eric Dyer is as a person. Uh, and And I think we would all agree, and we have agreed, that he's not... Prone to reckless Saturday, Sunday nights, and you know, out on the town. We'll be getting to that a little later because he is an extremely unique individual as a footballer. He took a principled stand, and I mean, it should be pointed out that nothing untoward came of that principal stand he merely moved through the, you know moved through the rows actually like a terminator i mean I've, i thought it was brilliant i mean wh- whoever opened their mouth and started gobbing off immediately their trousers turned brown and they and they kind of scurried away and were f- you know filtered away and uh you know I, I i think that he made a stand for on principle, and i think it's who he is i think eric dyer is a very principled individual this season 2021 going into 2022, has probably been Eric's best season since the peak pot years. And again, I I say that with the caveat that I do believe that Jose Mourinho really did try to get the very best out of him and really did believe in him. However, as we've discussed, recovering from something like appendicitis and the subsequent surgery really, really takes its toll. So it's not like, you know, Jose didn't try to get the form. But I think he's finally fully fit again. Yeah. And I think we're seeing the benefits of it.
1: Under Mourinho, he started to show, to recover and to settle into that central defensive position. I mean, it was under Mourinho that he made that decision to concentrate, to focus a bit on being a central defender. I do think that he suffered a bit from from playing deep so I, you know a style of football where you're inviting the opponents on you drop deep and particularly you know late in games when we were sitting very very deep with the midfield on top of the defense probably doesn't suit him similar to what I was saying before about kind of his turning circle his mobility um, probably didn't help him and he wasn't particularly good at dealing with the some aerial balls I think he struggles with a bit and I think probably the difference between then and now you know with Conte's um, system we're playing a little bit further forwards he's facing upfield. Although he's playing as the deepest of the three, which gives him more time on the ball, I, I think the way we were playing under under Jose probably didn't suit him quite as much. But he um, he started to establish himself in that position then.
0: Gareth, do you think it's fair to say that he is our quarterback? To parlay an American football position into uh, our glorious game,
2: I, I think within reason. I think he's got a good range of passing which he which he can display playing as the centre of those. Three players. I also think he's he's quite confident at carrying the ball out as well. I mean, I think when I'm when I'm thinking of quarterback, I'm probably thinking of a player who sits just in front of the back four. So I would say in our Spurs lifetime, Michael Carrick was the archetypical quarterback. And uh, Eric Dyer is a different player from that and he he, he plays deeper within there. Um, I mean, what I would say about him, though, is it, it, it must be something in the fact that five successive managers have all kept him and he's been a mainstay in the team, particularly early on. Um, so I think there's lots of intangibles with Eric Dyer.
1: Yeah. In terms of how he's playing currently, he's um, he's frequently making the most passes of anyone in the team many of those are long balls are spraying it around which kind of fits with your you know the quarterback um analogy and uh he's got a very very high success rate so for Conte he is absolutely key for playing the ball out of defense and that might change a bit as he strengthens and we get um you know, a, a back line that's more comfortable on the ball. But certainly at the moment, he's absolutely integral for us getting the ball out of defence and playing the ball out of defence, which is something that Conte really wants us to do.
0: Let's just touch on those intangibles a little bit and try and tangibilise them, actually, if we can, for our listeners. I've always had the feeling that he is the de facto coach on the field, the player that the manager knows can both carry the instructions, but also, you know, really help get certain maybe younger players or new signings through a match. And I think we've most recently seen that with Christian Romero, who, you know, let's face it, has a very aggressive style and, you know, likes to to, to get up and in it. Yeah, but we've watched Eric Dyer literally coach him through games uh, on on the field, and do we think that that's maybe the intangible that fans don't see and the reason why five Tottenham Hotspur managers have decided that Eric Dyer? is a very important part of what they're trying to do.
2: Well, most obvious one of those is his um, ling- linguistic skills. The fact that he can uh, have dialogue fairly naturally with the English-speaking players, the Spanish-speaking players, and the Portuguese-speaking players as well has got to be a huge asset. Whereas, I mean, our other sort of leaders on the pitch, I Lloris, Kane, Hoybier will have um, limits on, on how well they can communicate Instinctively, with with players speaking those um, Latin languages, so I think that comes into its own. He uh, Garrett Southgate's spoken about Eric Dyer's leadership, even when he's not been in the England squad. He, he's spoken about how much he rates him as a leader, and he's just being able to say the right thing at the right time to the to the right player is is really really important.
1: Yeah, I, I think back to the last game I saw at um, at the Lane before. The first lockdown, so the game against Wolves in March 2020, where he played in the uh, middle of a back three with uh, Jaffet to his left, and um, all the way through the game he was talking to Jaffet, talking him through the game, coaching him. And although we ended up losing the game three-two, it was actually a pretty good performance. So a good loss if you can have such a thing. But certainly I was really struck by how much he was, uh, he was talking to Traffic through the game. And you're absolutely right. We've seen exactly the same with Romero uh, this season. And I think we've seen the same with Ben Davis since um, coming in under Conte on the left of the the back three.
0: And let's briefly touch on Eric Dyer as uh, an England international. Uh, You know, 45 caps is significant. Five of those as skipper, which goes to double support what you were saying, Gareth, about um, your namesake, Gareth Southgate's um, views on him. He's obviously had some incredible highs for England. He's done some great work. He found himself out of favour for the last Euros in a decision that Gareth Southgate said was probably the hardest he's had to make since he became the England manager. Uh, Do we see a path back for Eric into this current uh, World Cup setup up and squad?
2: Yeah, well, I think we've got to acknowledge, and I think he probably does as well, his days as an England midfielder are over and I think there's players who are far more technically gifted in that area of the field now if I look at who our central defenders are at the moment Keane's played a few games the Everton mm. centre half um, Connor Cody I mean I would say that Dye is on a level with, with them and I think this season he's been he's been a better defender than both of them Southgate likes him so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in the team I think if he's playing well under a great coach like Conte as well that's, that's only going to further his cause too
1: yeah currently he's on England form I think and I think he's significantly better than those two centre-backs that you mentioned I think he's better than quite a few other England centre-backs who've had caps in the last in the last year as well and Southgate does like playing a back three in some circumstances so um, maybe you know if he's comfortable in that if it's shown that um, that's you know his strongest position as a centre-back then maybe maybe that's a root back for him. I, yeah, I think I think he's on England form at the moment. I wouldn't be surprised if he got called up, called up um, uh, in the friendlies towards the end of the season.
0: Go on, quick pop quiz question here. When he stepped up to take that penalty in the shootout, did you believe he was going to put it away or not? I, I have to confess, I was so worried that he wouldn't and that it would just the avalanche of criticism would come. I, I was I was absolutely petrified for him.
2: Hmm. all I say about that I, I, I knew exactly where he was going to put it he was going to shoot it hard to his left which is his natural side and if he got enough power on it he was always going to score but the goalkeeper knew where he was going to go and dive the right way but just couldn't get there in time
1: yeah i was just nervous about when um... When Spurs players take uh, penalties for for England, uh, as you said, about the criticism that comes with it. I don't want it to be our players who, who are on the receiving end of that.
0: But none of us thought he was going to score, did we? Let's just put our cards on the table here. I thought he
1: was going to miss. Absolutely, he takes a good um, set piece, does Derek? We should
0: address his friendship with Delhi over the years because, uh, in many ways, it's got a sub a subplot, if you will. Um, you know, with both of their careers and the directions both have taken they started off as very firm and tight friends um you know there was lots of social media tomfoolery and we all reveled in it it was a really a, a sort of a talisman of the young Poch era um you know they really helped make you feel that you know these were lightly lads cheeky kids like we were all in it together it was warm and fun uh you know and over recent years uh it seems like you know they're not Obviously, I'm sure they're friends and they get on, but they're not quite as tight as they were, you know. And that sort of amplifies, I think, what a unique individual Eric Dyer is as a human being. Would that be accurate to say?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, Eric's, um I and mean, maybe it's just, you yeah, know, as you mature, you get different interests, don't you? And, you know, there was the article last year in the, earlier this year in the Guardian about his allotment, and... um so when he finishes training he likes to go and attend to his allotment and uh we were talking just before we came on about his walking holiday in morocco he tends to i think this summer he went on holiday with some of the spanish and portuguese speaking uh, members of the squad and their families so I, I just think you know as we said earlier on he's a he's a bright lad he's got interests that are maybe slightly unusual for a professional footballer and um you know as you grow older you know maybe your interests differ and uh, and you're not quite as close as you were when you were younger. I mean, it's, you know, I'm sure we've all got mates that we were best mates with at uh, 21 who we weren't best mates with at 29 because you know, our, our interests were different.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He, he seems to have gone through quite a few phases in his short Spurs career already and that's included having having friends in the team. As you, It's been well reported. He said he's gone on holiday with, uh, with some of the Spanish and Portuguese uh, speaking players and I think he's always said he always makes a point of going to sit on a different table and sitting with different people when he has breakfast and he has, he has lunch and yeah, undoubtedly he's, he's met someone who's had a different set of interests and his friendships have been like, fairly transient in a positive way since he's been at the club.
0: I mean I think again we're back to the intangibles that you know people don't really either gauge or give credence to and I, I do want to just spend a couple of minutes talking about this absolutely sensational trip he made to morocco because it really is the sort of thing that if michael palin did it you know we'd all be in raptures i mean you know he walked in the desert to basically go on a self-exploration i mean this is this is some pretty deep stuff and this is some pretty deep self-maintenance self-work um reinvigoration whatever you want to call it and he did it at a time when you know perhaps we're seeing some of the other players when they take their holidays we see these Instagram photos on private jets there's this really brilliant photo of Dyer from that trip that someone's taken of him standing behind the drinks trolley on an easy jet trying to get past it to go to the loo I mean there's no private planes for, for Eric Dyer if he's going to do these things he's going to do them as a human being, and you know to me this signifies why he will always spiritually be the club captain for me while he's there I mean this is a very personal feeling because those are the things that make you a bigger man human being and ultimately footballer who can adapt to the many trials and tribulations that Tottenham Hotspur particularly as a football club throws at you um I think that that's fair comment Uh, would we not agree
1: yeah absolutely I'd prefer him being captain in Larissa's absence to kind of the other options I, I I was um I was disappointed he didn't start against Moura a couple of weeks ago because I think with him in the side that result probably wouldn't have happened and he would have been able to help some of the younger players through the game. Whereas the other senior pros who were starting that game may be less able to do that. Couldn't agree more.
0: I mean, it's it's funny. There's so much to talk about with Eric Dyer, and hopefully this will spark some uh, some conversations around the holidays with various people, and that you can all get into it yourselves. We're going to close off our Eric Dyer discussion with the following. Do you? gareth milo have a definitive eric dyer match you'd like to share with the pod
2: yeah i'm gonna go proper football man here and I'm going to remember it or Matt Bloke in the pub comment here I'm going to remember a game when he scored a goal and I really can't remember anything else he did in the game but it was when we beat Manchester City 4-1 at White Hart Lane in September 2015 and he did score he scored our equaliser we went on to win that match 4-1 Lamella scored one at the end but what I think was more significant about that was this was about six games into the season and he'd really solidified his role as a defensive midfielder and as we discussed earlier it wasn't that pre-season that we heard this idea that Eric Dyer was going to be our defensive midfielder. But he came in and I think unexpectedly took on the role really, really well. And that was the first really big win that we had that season. And he was a big, big part of that team and that shape and that system going forward. And in time, he would form a really a formidable central midfield partnership with, with Moussa Dembele. Um, but I think his, his role in that game and the fact he scored a goal as well um, was probably the point where I looked at him and thought, do you know what, we might have found something here. We really might have unearthed a real gem and it came from within.
1: So I'm going to go for a game that Gareth mentioned earlier on, um, his debut, West Ham away in, um, uh, in 2004, uh, where we won 1-0 thanks to an Eric Dyer goal in the third minute of, uh, of added time. I mean, right from the off, he's shown spirit and uh, determination, and um, and his ability. It was a funny game. So, uh, Cole Norton was sent off on half an hour in that game. And um, looking at it earlier on, so there's only two other members of the matchday squad there who's still with us, which is Larissa and Kane. Any guess? Any guesses for who else was in that? Who who did he start alongside in central defence? I
0: think uh, Eunice played. plays. Was
1: Cabal, yeah. Got anyone else in the side, Steph?
0: I mean, you mean anyone else who was in the side?
1: Yeah, go on.
0: Well, Shagga Chadley was in there, wasn't he?
1: No, he wasn't, no. No, so the attacking midfielders was Ericsson, Lamella and Lennon. Adebayor up top, mm. Bentaleb and Kapuwe in central midfield and um, Danny Rose at left back, so that's the only one I've mentioned.
0: Didn't Shagger Chadley get on as a sub, or was he not even with us at the time? Uh, he didn't
1: come on as a sub. The subs were Holtby. Yeah, he was with us. Holtby, Townsend, and Kane came on. Kane came on in the eighty-third minute.
0: Lewis Holtby, who will be the feature of a future full player analysis, I'm sure. Well, ne- Next
1: time we do, where, where are they now? <laughs> Holtby is definitely definitely on the list for that. Yeah, it has to be. It, it was like when a dog <laughs> takes your football in the, pl- on the um, in the park. Lewis Holtby did no no awareness whatsoever. Just chased around the ball wherever it was gnawing at it. Yeah.
2: He
0: was I a, think I heard him described as Jamie O'Hara with social media skills. I think he was an upgraded <laughs> Stefan Freund myself, but there we go. Anyway my choice for game is April 1st, 2018 and the 3-1 win at the bridge, um, ironically against an Antonio Conte managed Chelsea, uh, where he played a pivotal role alongside the Moose, Moussa Dembele, and produced a superb 50-yard ball for Delhi to score. Um, and he also uh, got back to block a Conte shot on the line amongst, uh, you know, just what Amidst what was generally a superlative Eric Dyer performance, it was a prime time Dyer for mm. me, and as a standout game, it was such an important moment for us as a club to go there and beat them.
1: I think Conte's mentioned that, hasn't he? I think um, when he's talked about Dyer, he's mentioned that game. He's, he's mentioned when Dyer uh, played for England against his Italy as well. So they've they've got their paths have crossed before, and and uh, Conte's been impressed with him.
0: So there we have it, our review of Eric Dyer. A footballer that uh, the game is about glory, greatly admires and has bags and bags of time for. And hopefully our little uh, analysis here will either fortify your support of that position or cause you to think twice about some of the views you might have had of him before. It does look like we might have a football match next week. (laughs) It looks like the game on Thursday, this coming Thursday against Leicester, may happen because we returned to training on Sunday with a double session. And the reports on Sunday evening have suggested that the game would now go ahead. Uh, You know, we normally ask at this moment who should play, but it's probably more a case of who is fit to play. How confident are you that we're actually going to, well, I guess, play the game first and foremost, and secondly, (laughs) win it, right? I mean, let's start there.
2: I I think I've got no idea whether the game will be played or not. I think there's there's so many variables involved that that it's impossible to guess from one day to another. What the, what the outcome's likely to be. I think we know that Leicester have had players with, with COVID in the squad as well, and I wonder whether that'll be a factor, albeit they did play this afternoon and beat Newcastle fairly convincingly. As for the team, I think we've, I think we've found what our preferred starting eleven is, with Romero continuing to be out. Uh, I don't think there's that many choices to make, are there? Maybe Sanchez or Tanganga on the, on the right side of a back three. Um, Lucas Mora presumably is going to keep his place after the goal he scored in the last game. So I think the eleven pretty much picks itself at the moment. If again those eleven are all available
0: and fit, yeah, and we'd smash them, wouldn't we, Milo?
1: Leicester. Mm. I mean, they've been a bit up and down this season, but it's a, it's a tougher test than we've had so far under Conte. So it's going to be an interesting measure of where we're at. I don't, I don't think going away there is an easy game. I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up being a draw, but um, I, I, I'm interested to see how we do.
0: I actually think we'll win, uh, and I think we're. Uh... Uh, possibly even keep a clean sheet, but of course I am the eternal optimist. Uh, I would certainly say that, and I'm also going to be an eternal optimist by saying it looks like currently our next game <laughs> at the Lane <laughs> will be against Liverpool on Sunday, just a few days after the supposed game we are going to play against Leicester. But you know, look, are they going to make mincemeat of us, or are we going to stand to the test? You know. Maybe get something out of it.
1: Yeah, you know, it's our toughest game of the season. I think this. I think um, I've been really impressed with Liverpool these this last couple of months. They're my favourite team in the league to watch. I think um, they're an absolute pleasure to watch when they're playing anyone but you. And I'm really interested to see how we do. I think we're really lucky in the Premier League at the moment. We've got you know four of the best managers in the world here right now and uh, this is the first time we've seen Conte at Spurs up against one of those managers and I'm I'm really intrigued to see what he does with it Um, again as I was saying last week I wouldn't be surprised if he brought in an extra midfielder to try and help out our, our, our um, back line and make it easier for you know to play out from defence my guess with that would be that Winks coming in but um, let's see
2: yeah they're the I can't remember if they're actually top of the league at the moment or not they've only lost once all season but that in itself may provide the blueprint they lost at West Ham last month they lost 3-2 so um, you can get at them uh, they do have some fallibility and as Milo said there we've got a world class manager who you hope would be able to exploit those ultimately on the day you need a bit of luck and you need the ball to roll for you and you need a key decision to go your way and it feels like Liverpool um, do tend to get the rub of the green a lot at the moment that possibly because they have enough of the ball that uh, the numbers work in their favour ultimately but we've we've often given the, they've, had the better, they've got the better over us really in the clopping Era, they've got the better of us more often than not, but usually we present them a few challenges that they haven't been expecting. Um, and sometimes the games have been a little bit closer than you would imagine. So I'm, I'm hopeful that will continue, but as say we, we just maybe need to get that little bit of luck this
0: time around. Well, it's ironic. I think the four-one win at Wembley, um, which uh, I, I, I saw. Uh, I don't know if either of you were there, but I think that that. Probably has proven to be one of the most pivotal results in Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool career because I don't think he simply was ever going to allow anyone to do that to him again or him to make the mistakes that he made in the selection of that team. I think it really identified for him what his Liverpool needed to be if it was going to be. Uh, so uh, we, I think we helped his career in many ways with Liverpool. And you're right, Milo, they are a wonderful team to watch. And, you know, I'm certainly not into all this uh anti-Liverpool guff that I hear. It's just nonsense. It really is. I mean, let's, let's give them the respect they deserve as a football club and for the way they currently operate and for their manager, who's tremendous. And you're absolutely right. The excitement of this clash is as much about these two masterful tacticians trying to outmaneuver each other being the eternal optimist i am i really do believe that antonio conti is going to find a way to get something from this game but equally gareth you're absolutely right it could hinge on these pivotal decisions that are outside the realm of coaches uh, uh, and players even so it is going to be a fascinating encounter and one that i'm sure we're going to thoroughly enjoy whatever happens so yeah well hey let's hope there's football (laughs) these games happen Uh, that is the first and foremost especially given the uh, the the, the intro we've given that Liverpool game if they don't play it now it's all been for nothing what a spectacular intro to a football match Uh, if either club wants to license it from us please contact us at the game is about glory
1: (laughs) I'd I'd just like to say that this is my my first weekend since August where I haven't got another grey hair so I'd quite like us not to have a game next weekend and uh...
0: Yeah, I wish I could say the same. The grey hairs are (laughs) sprouting for me on a regular basis. But enough of that. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. It's been a good one. It's been really good. We'll be back next week. Hopefully, with a look back at our games against Leicester and Liverpool, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow, say hello. And if you've listened this far, you must really like the pod. So we would appreciate it if you would tell your friends on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram about this. It really helps us continue to grow our audience. As always, thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Stay safe out there and see ya.